Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. In this episode, we'll be in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 24, um, and going through the rest of this chapter. Now, uh, pardon, I'm speaking a little bit quieter. The recording setup for this episode is less than, uh, it's unfamiliar to me, so we'll see. I hope there's not any weird echo and, and no audio problems or anything like that. But regardless, uh, just pass over that and uh, try to listen. Hopefully the words are worth listening to. Uh, in Matthew chapter 20, thus far, uh, the first 16 verses was spent on this story about the kingdom of heaven. It's like a landowner. He's like, he, he's hiring people, and all of these people, all of his workers end up getting paid the same, even though they work very different amounts of time and very different amounts of effort. Uh, they all get the same. And ultimately, this was an exploration of the idea the last will be first and the first will be last. That's in chapter 19 and verse 30, and in chapter 20 and verse 16. Well, Jesus took that idea last time in verses 17 through 19. Jesus took that idea and applied it to himself. The last will be first and the first last. Jesus is going to humble himself, and the first will be last. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That last one will be first. And so, hey, here's what Jesus is going to suffer. And he gives that out in verses 18 and 19. Now, uh, none of his disciples say anything against it, which is good and which is kind of new, honestly, because they kind of complain about the other instances. But they're not going to hear and good on them for doing so. But instead of complaining about it, they just kind of maybe miss the point. Because the next story we looked at in verses 20 to 23 is this idea of James and John. And they really just come to Jesus and say, hey, we want to be super powerful in the kingdom of heaven. To which Jesus answers, I mean, you can do extra work if you want to, but that doesn't really prove anything. You can volunteer for extra jobs, sure, and God will give them to you, sure. But that doesn't mean you're going to get to see more of God, or it doesn't mean your throne is going to be like a foot off the ground instead of everybody else at ground level. You don't get extra stuff from that, but sure, you can fight through the same difficulties I am, whatever that ended up looking like. And so James and John kind of missed the point, I think, at least, is, is my assumption there. They kind of misunderstood what Jesus was going for. And the disciples, the other disciples, are going to pick up on this when we start reading in chapter 20, in verse 24, Matthew 20, verse 24. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we have these few verses, and it, it focuses now on the ten disciples. They looked at what James and John said and found some issue with it. Now, I don't know what that was. Typically, as I've grown up in church, what I've heard is, well, James and John just kind of beat them all to it, and they really wanted those elevated positions. Like, Peter and the rest of the apostles also wanted all of those uh, high positions in heaven, and so they're angry that James and John got there first. Well, maybe. That is one interpretation of it, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case. 
maybe, and this is being very, very hopeful, um, but maybe these ten disciples understood what Jesus was going for, and they realized that James and John didn't understand it. And they're frustrated at James and John for being so just, well, so kind of dumb, right? They just heard something from Jesus, something very important, and yet they've completely skipped it. They've completely missed over the entire point just to try and elevate themselves. Sorry about that sound effect. I don't really know what that was. Um, James and John have missed that, and maybe the ten disciples picked up on that. Maybe the ten disciples understood what Jesus is going for exactly. But Jesus, rather than rebuking James and John more, rather than just kind of correcting their understanding some, um, he actually goes to the ten and says, hey, stop it. It's not your place to be doing this. You know what? The Gentiles judge their brothers. The Gentiles are the people who lord it over, whatever, whatever that looks like in this specific instance. They're the ones who lord it over them, they're the ones who don't forgive. They're the ones who aren't merciful. They're the ones who aren't kind or loving to their brothers. Those in high positions, the kings, those are the tyrants over people. But it's not like that. Not if you're in the church. Not if you're one of God's people. It's not like that. And it's not supposed to be. Do you want to be one of the Gentiles? Do you want to be one of these tyrants, one of these high rulers? Guess what? That's not how the kingdom works. And so, hey, maybe it is that you want this position, right? Maybe maybe it is the uncharitable interpretation. The disciples really want this position, and James and John tried to steal it from them. In that case, sorry again. Uh, in that case, hey, that's not what you're about, and you're not supposed to be seeking after that high position. Don't put yourself in that kind of mindset to go after that, to be prideful, and to chase after that accomplishment, right? And if it is this, the, well, the nicer interpretation, maybe the disciples know what's going on. I'll, I'll vote for that one, even though I don't know which one's right. That one sounds a little bit nicer, at least. Um, if it is that interpretation, then hey, stop judging your brother. Stop being unmerciful. Stop holding James and John accountable. Yeah, they made a, they, they made a bad decision. Okay. But you guys have made bad decisions too, and so stop going after them like this. They don't deserve, well, they might deserve that, but it's not your place to be the one who goes after them. Instead, you know what you do? If you're a part of God's kingdom, you know what you do? Instead of trying to be over something, instead of trying to position yourself in some place of authority, you know what you do? You get down on your knees and you serve. Because that's what's so important. The greatest among you Whoever wants to be the greatest among you, that's going to be your servant, right? Because serving is what does something. It's not the it's not the leadership from the head and, and dictating out to other people that's so impressive. No, it's the willingness to actually get down and do the work yourself. That's what's so impressive. That's what's so amazing. And that's what Jesus is going to do, even in verses 18 and 19, like he said. Right, the Son of Man himself didn't come to be served, didn't come to lord it over people, but he came to serve. He came to get down and to get dirty and to actually just do the work. And so be like God and be like Jesus, be like the Son of Man and serve other people. Don't lord it over them. Don't be prideful. Don't be unmerciful towards them. 
because it's not your place. Your place is to serve and to do the work that God himself does and that God then expects you to do. Now, let's look at verse 29. Because Jesus, from here, from the statement, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, now we're going to run across two people who nobody would serve, but Jesus came to do that. And so, well, maybe he will. Uh, let's read Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped, and he called them, and he said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said to him, Open our eyes. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. Well, these ten, right, right, sorry, these, these two blind guys are sitting right outside Jericho. Apparently all of this took place in Jericho. Maybe there's some poetic symmetry in, um, in these last few stories as people are trying to take what doesn't belong to them, and Jesus is kind of putting them in their place when Peter in chapter 19 and verse 27 um, the rich young ruler in chapter 19 and verse 16, the James and John in chapter, ni- in chapter 20 and verse 20. Um, you know, you remember Achan back from Joshua? Joshua, what was that? Chapter 7, I think? Joshua 7, something like that. And Achan, when he was at Jericho and he took what wasn't his, and then God punished him for that. God put him in his place in the valley of Achor. Uh, maybe there's some poetic justice here and, and symmetry in that way. Matthew, or what, whoever's writing this seems to be Jewish. If it's Matthew the disciple, the, the apostle, or somebody else, they'd probably be familiar with that story, and maybe they're trying to parallel it. But as they're leaving Jericho, regardless, they're in Jericho, and as they're leaving, they're two blind people. Now, blind people aren't important. Right? They're crippled. They can't really do anything for you. They just kind of sit there and beg and eat up your resources if you're a nice person or make you feel bad about yourself if you're not a nice person and don't give anything to them. And so they're kind of useless and pretty irritating, and they're just kind of sitting outside. And they're shouting, and they're shouting at Jesus and heckling him and saying, Hey, come on. Go ahead and help us if you want to. Um, and, of course, the crowd doesn't like that very much. They hear disdain in the voices of these blind people. They hear um, a, a, a sarcasm in these blind people, and they say, hey, be quiet, right? This is the Lord. He's important. He's not going to waste his time on you people. But of course, their cries aren't sarcastic. Their cries aren't disdainful. Jesus hears them, and Jesus stops, and Jesus calls out to them and says, hey, what can I do for you? You know, you remember back in in chapter 19, verses 13 through 15? The children who wanted to come to Jesus and the disciples said, No, you're unimportant. Nobody cares about you. Keep out of the way of the Lord because he's important and his time is worth something. And Jesus says, Yes, my time is worth something and it's worth serving these people that you don't care about. 
And here we have the same thing. Here we have the same story, basically. These two people, nobody cares about them, but Jesus does. And that is all that's important. And so, Lord, open our eyes. That's what they ask him. Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do? And they say, open our eyes, please. So he does, and they're healed. Jesus touches their eyes, right? He, he goes in close, and he demonstrates his love for them, and immediately they could see, and they end up following him, right? Immediately they could see, and they end up following him. And wherever he's going and whatever he's getting up to, they end up following him. They're not asked to. They're not commanded to. They're not given any expectation that they're going to follow him. They just decide to do it of their own accord. Because they ask to be able to see, and they use that blessing from God, they use that sight that they've been given to go ahead and turn that right back and to serve God in the ways that he's asked them to. And so, Lord, open our eyes that we may see, that we may be able to follow you. These are not sarcastic calls from the blind people. These are not the blind people asking for a little bit of money from Jesus. These are people who want to serve God and who say, hey, if you can help us in this way, we will give everything we have to you. And Jesus helps them, so they dedicate themselves to him. It's a wonderful story. It's not the story that the disciples and the people on the road, the big crowds, they didn't think that this was how the story was going to go. But Jesus did. And so he heals them, and he helps them through their difficulty. So while we're wrapping up here, after at the end of chapter 20 and looking ahead into chapter 21, let's go ahead and point out just a couple of things that I saw. A um, couple of more practical things, or specific things, I guess. A um, couple of ideas. One from both of these stories. First one I find in verse 25, where Jesus says, Hey, you, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those in high positions act as tyrants over them, but it must not be like that among you. Hey, the world does certain things, right? The ungodly people do certain things. They seek out authority for themselves. They seek out power for themselves and want to, in a prideful way, they want to big themselves up and to be the best of the best. Well, guess what? Christians aren't supposed to do that, right? Christians aren't supposed to be doing that. And add to that, um, it's not just that idea. Hey, we need to be merciful to our brothers. The people of the world aren't merciful. They're unkind and unloving and uncaring for other people. Guess what? we got to be merciful to our brothers. And, hey, if somebody does something dumb, you know what? Forget it. Because ultimately it doesn't matter. Just forget it and grow up and move past it. The world doesn't do that. But we need to be able to do that. Um, the ten disciples don't do that. Don't do either of those things. And Jesus rebukes them for it and says, hey... You don't need to be like the world. You need to be like me. I answered them. I corrected them gently. I rebuked them. And now it's over. And we don't have to go back to that again. We don't have to remember that. We don't have to focus on that about them. Because I've already corrected it. 
be like Jesus. And don't be like the world. Don't hold grudges. And don't be prideful. Guess what? You've said unintelligent things too, right? You've said very unintelligent things. Don't judge someone else. Basic life principle there. All the way back to even Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, right? Be kind to other people. And recognize that you've done this stuff too. You've been where they are. And so don't be too harsh on them because it's relatable. That's one of the ideas that comes from the first one. And here's the second point as well. In verse 34, all the way down at the end of what we looked at, in verse 34, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they could see, and they followed him. Jesus heals blindness here, but it's not blindness in its it, it well sorry it is blindness in the physical sense right but it's not only blindness in the physical sense the healing is meant to represent something else just like healing the paralytic was supposed to represent that jesus can actually forgive sins the healing of the blind men is supposed to represent something else not just that he can heal a couple of defunct eyeballs but that he can do something to you spiritually, that he can open your heart, that he can unblind you in a spiritual manner, because it's very possible to be blind spiritually, even if you can see physically. These men can't see physically, but they can. They're the, they're the most, uh, most well-seeing ones of this entire crowd, because they see Jesus for who he is. The crowd says, oh, Jesus would never want to spend time on you people. And the blind men say, Lord, we want to follow you. Who's able to see and who's not able to see? And so the blind men are healed so that their physical ability matches their spiritual capacity. Right? They are now able to see because when they were blind, they already saw and they already understood Jesus just gives them that physical sight, and then they use it immediately for his service. Without being asked, without being called upon, they just give it to him, because they know it's the right thing to do to return the gift that they've been given. And so Jesus touches them, and immediately they just get up and follow him. Maybe we need to learn to recognize where we're spiritually cripples, and ask Jesus to restore that, right? Because it's really easy to have eyes today. I have eyes. They're perfectly functional. I don't even need glasses, right? Perfect condition. Um, and so, obviously, I can see. But how many times have I been spiritually blind? And I haven't even thought about it. I haven't even paid attention to it. But how many times have I been the spiritual blind person, even though I can see, May God give us the strength and the wisdom to be able to look past the physical realities and the physical blessings that we have to be able to see our true spiritual condition and then maybe change that because sometimes I'm a lot blinder than I realize. And sometimes I try to walk by my own strength not realizing that I'm a spiritual cripple and I need to walk with God's strength. May God help us to be able to see ourselves as we really are. So, be kind to others, be good to them and not too judgmental, and then 
recognize who you are and how much you really need Jesus's help. Those are the ideas that I came up with out of this section, and of course there are more, but those are just a couple of the of the simpler ones. So, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope it's helpful for you to be able to hear this, for you to be able to think about this and these ideas, um, and maybe it gives you something worthwhile to contemplate throughout your day. Thanks for listening. Um, wow, it's been a whole year. As of yesterday, when this is uploaded, as of yesterday, that was my one-year anniversary of uploading things. And, and what do you know? We're still in Matthew. We've still got eight chapters to go. Um, chapters 21 through 28, and really just this entire last week of Jesus's life is all yet to come. And wow, that's going to take who knows how long past, past everything that's already been. Um, but yeah, it's been quite a while. And I think it's been good. I know it's at least been good for me. And I don't know how y'all feel about it. But thank you for listening, for being willing to sit through this week after week, um, and for being willing to take part in it. I hope it's been helpful. I hope there's some good things in there, and, and it makes it somewhat worthwhile to listen to. And I'll keep working and keep trying my best to improve this and make it better for you, but also more effective for me and for my own learning as well. Thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for being patient, and I really hope you enjoyed. I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.